Lord, we just thank you so much for your presence in this place this morning. Lord, we just thank you that where we're gathered together, just these two or three, you're in the midst. And Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for who you are to each one of us, Lord. And when everything else is laid down, when there's nothing left, there's you, God. There's you. When there's nothing else of ourselves, there's nothing else important, it's just about you, Lord. It's just about you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think we can all um, relate at this stage in our lives of, you know, times we've gone through where, well, there's nothing else, is there? (laughs) You know, this is it. There's just God. And he's been reminding me of that lately, that it's just about him. And uh, thank you, Caleb, for that passage you read about Solomon this morning because at the end of the day there was nothing else for him he had everything that any man could possibly want but at the end of the day there was nothing nothing important but God nothing important but him I was reading um, just in Psalm 73 and this is says it's a psalm of Asaph And it's a little bit similar to that thought. I'm going to read through it with you today. It says, No one can deny it. God is really good to Israel and to those with pure hearts. But I nearly miss seeing it for myself. Here's my story. I came so close to missing the way. And listen to what he was stumbling over. This is the passion. I love the passion. I was stumbling over what I saw with the wicked, for when I saw the boasters with such wealth and prosperity, I became jealous over their smug security, indulging in whatever they wanted, going where they wanted, doing what they wanted, and with no care in the world. No pain, no problems. They seemed to have it made. They lived as though life would never end. They didn't even try to hide their pride and opulence. Cruelty and violence is part of their lifestyle. Pampered and pompous, vice oozes from their souls. They overflow with vanity. They're such snobs, looking down their noses. They even scoff at God. They are nothing but bullies threatening God's people. He goes on and on. (laughs) It's not loud mouths with no fear of God, pretending to know it all, windbags full of hot air, impressing only themselves. Yet the people keep coming back to listen to more of their nonsense. They tell their cohorts, God will never know. See, he has no clue to what we're doing. These are the wicked ones I'm talking about. They never have to lift a finger, living a life of ease with their riches as their riches multiply. Have I been foolish to play by the rules and keep my life pure? We've never been in that situation, have we? We've never doubted at all. Here I am suffering under your discipline day after day. We've never felt like that, have we? I feel like I'm being punished all day long. If I had given in to my pain and spoken of what I was really feeling, it would have sounded like unfaithfulness to the next generation. When I tried to understand it all, I just couldn't. It was too puzzling, too much of a riddle to me. But then one day I was brought into the sanctuaries of God. We're in the sanctuary of God today. And in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. Then I understood that the destiny of the wicked was near. They're the ones who are on the slippery path and God will suddenly let them slide off into destruction 
to be consumed with terrors forever. It will be an instant end to all their life of ease, a blink of the eye, and they're swept away by sudden calamity. You know God's going to do a quick work. It's going to be a very quick work in this world. They're now nothing more than momentary monarchs, soon to disappear like a dream when one awakes. When the rooster crows, Lord God, you'll despise their life of fantasies. When I saw all of this, what turmoil fooled my heart, piercing my opinions with your truth. I was so stupid. I was senseless and ignorant, acting like a brute beast before you, Lord. Yet, in spite of all this, you comfort me by your counsel. You draw me closer to you. God's the one that does the drawing. He's the one. How great is our God that he's even drawn us here today. Amazing. You lead me (coughs) with your secret wisdom. And following you brings me into your brightness and glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? You're all I want. Is that true for us today? Whom have I in heaven but you? You're all I want. This is a long time ago. This man was writing this. Nothing new under the sun, it would seem. No one on earth means as much to me as you. And when I read that, I thought, Lord, let that be my heart. No one on earth means as much to me as you. Timothy comes close, but not as much to me as you. Lord, so many times I fall. I fall into disgrace. But when I trust in you, I have a strong and glorious presence protecting and anointing me forever. You're all I need. Those who abandon the worship of God will perish. The false and unfaithful will be silenced, never heard from again. Listen to what this man says. But I'll keep coming closer and closer to you, Lord Yahweh, for your name is good to me. I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works, my faithful and glorious God. Wow. What a heart for God this man had and a heart of worship. I'll keep coming closer and closer to you for your name is good to me and I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works. That's our job. (laughs) It's right there, isn't it? We just keep coming closer and closer to him and we keep telling the world of his faithful works. And I can testify to that, that there is nothing, nothing, nothing to compare with what God has done in my life. And he's been there every step of the way since I was a little girl. Thank God for a family that knew Jesus, that took me to church. (laughs) These young people, they will thank God every day of their life that their parents have them in church. Because that's the rock on which we stand. You know, and often say to people, well, it's okay to give people a choice, but they have to know what the choice is. You can't give someone a choice to choose God if they don't know that he's there. If they haven't heard, they haven't been told. But once they've been told, then they do have the choice. And he is the only choice. Do you know, to have more of God, I was thinking about it. Well, what 
What is it, God? You know, we don't want to come along to church and do church the same all the time. Who wants to do that? I don't want to come along to church and, you know, everything works exactly the same from the week before. But, you know, what, what hand do we have in that? Well, it's up to God, isn't it? But I think, I think it's about open hearts and I think it's about us, us wanting the more. I think it's about us wanting to come closer and closer to him and that's like opening the door. That's opening the door to God and then he comes in. And that's the cry of my heart. I don't want anything else. I don't have anything else. But I don't want anything else except him because he's always there. So what does God want to say to us today? I think he's talking about just accepting the gift. Now, when we were saved... What do we do? Nothing. <laughs> what do we do? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Someone gives you a gift. What do you have to do, Philly? If I give you a gift, what are you going to do? You're going to take it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Someone gives you a gift, all you have to do is take it. I think God's saying, just accept the gift. Just accept the gift. It is not from yourselves. <laughs> it is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. I just want to read that um, in the Passion Translation. Chapter 2 of Ephesians. It says, and his fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offences. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We live by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children, subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God still loved us with such great love. He was so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. We aren't any different to anybody else in this world. It's only by his grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. And here's a purpose for you, for our life, if you're, not, if you're wondering what it is for your life. <laughs> Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which were showered upon us in Jesus Christ. That's it. <laughs> we will be the visible display. For it was only through his wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. 
So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. Salvation is nothing, nothing to do with us. It's all about God. And in this life, it's all about God. It's all about him. So this morning, I had this, you know, um, just need to say it's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. So I wondered this morning if there's anyone else in this room that would like to say this morning, it's all about you, Lord. I'm all yours. If there is, would you like to stand and we'll pray? If you're one of those people, say, Lord, I don't want anything else. There's nothing else in this world except you. There's nothing else for me when all other things are stripped away. Whether it's like Solomon, all the things that he had, all the, anything that a man could possibly want, he knew it was just about you. Because those things aren't satisfying. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you this morning. We thank you. But Lord, it was just by grace that we were saved. And Lord, it's just by your grace that we come before you today. Lord, we just put our whole lives into your hands today. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that when all else fails, there's you. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we commit our lives again unto you today. Lord, take everything that we have, anything that we have, that you can use, Lord, and use it for your glory. Lord, let us be that reflection of you in the world today. We thank you, Lord. We thank you so much. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. Thank you, Jesus. 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 your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Ha, 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 ha.
Glory to God. Glory to God. Puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> perspective is a is a is a amazing thing. Sometimes you'll look at something from a, a position and it's it's not really what it is. You know, you might be too close or you often it's you know, you're too close and it's what's this? And then you get back and and you get a, a perspective and you think, Oh, that's where it sits. So thank you, Coral. Now it might seem that we, we've had a little collaboration, um, but we haven't. <laughs> oh dear. So that's interesting. I've just um, I just look, I've I've got I've got room for one more message and then I'll have to and then I'll have to quit. <laughs> or 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 get a new or, You're gonna get me a new book, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, right. Well, this morning I just want to give, um, I think it's a word of encouragement, an encouraging message. Who likes to be encouraged? Yeah. Great, well that's good. Um, am I, yeah, am I a bit loud? No? It's just my head. And, uh, you know, I've been speaking a little bit recently about the, the kingdom and I wasn't going to speak about the kingdom this morning but isn't it funny how, how God just sort of can get you back to, to something that he wants to say. So I've got a, a, um, a title and, and it's how, how quickly does God move? The title's a question. How quickly does God move? We're going to start off looking at, um, at Daniel, in Daniel. Now, we know that Daniel was a, a prophet. He was um, taken to, uh, to Babylon as, as, a, as a captive. And he was a prophet of God to a heathen nation. Now, yeah, that word heathen, what's it mean? It's, it's those outside the, the God's, God's people. That's all it means. Without a knowledge of God. And he was given end time prophecy by God. So the the you know the a lot of the prophecies in Daniel they just link they just links perfectly in with with prophecies of end time and, and, and the book of Revelation and and look this is not a study of of, of end time doctrine um, but yeah we're looking at um, some things here so Daniel chapter two if you'd like to turn to Daniel chapter two. <coughs> Now we're going to we're going to pick it up with um, King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream, and uh, I think I think Nebuchadnezzar had had a little bit of experience with his with his wise people in his kingdom, you know, the wise men in his kingdom, and I don't know that he was very trusting of these people because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he says to his, his you know, astrologers and, and soothsayers and all the, all the rest of it, all these different groups of people who did what they did through a spiritual influence that wasn't God, to tell him what his dream was. 
He wanted to have the interpretation. He had this dream. He wanted to have the interpretation of the dream. He wanted to know what the dream meant because he didn't know what the dream meant. But he didn't trust the people that were around him that were supposed to be able to you know, give interpretations. So he set them a challenge. Nebuchadnezzar knew the dream that he had. But he said to all these people, tell me the dream that I had and then tell me the interpretation. If you can tell me the dream that I had, I'll know that the interpretation of it will be correct. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, Mel comes up and says, I had a dream. I said, oh, that's good. I say, tell me what it was, Mel. And she said, no, you tell me. And, and this, this, this came with a, from Nebuchadnezzar, it came with a bit of a barb in the tail. Because he said, you tell me what the dream I had was, seeing that that's your job, because you're wise people and, and you can give in to You tell me what it was, or I'm going to kill you. And the, um, yeah, the, the wise, yeah, all these wise people <laughs> said, Lord, you're king, you've, you've, you've asked something that it's impossible. It's not possible. So what did the king do? He sent out his armed people to start killing the wise men of Babylon. And they were in this process. They were, that's what was actually happening. So we'll pick up the, um, we'll pick up the story. Um, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. (laughs) But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter times. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. So um, Daniel has prayed. He has sought God prior to this, and God has told him um, what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. (laughs) Uh, I love it. Ah, Verse 30. But as for me, this dream has not been revealed to me because I was more, uh, have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. So Daniel's saying, it's not that my wisdom, it's, it's God is good and he didn't want us killed because we're in the, we're in the wise men category. That's, what he is, uh, that's why he's done it. You, O king, were watching and behold a splendid image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You were watching while a stone was cut out without hands which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled 
the whole earth. This is the dream. <laughs> and and uh, now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So Daniel got King Nebuchadnezzar's attention because he said exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt. So the king was right, I'm with you. <laughs> and then he gave the interpretation. Which... We will read. We will read. So verse 36. When I find it. 37. You, O king, are a king of kings, and the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over them. You are the, this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron, that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom will part, be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone cut out, of a mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great king has made known to you, to the king, what will come after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Now, we've got a little bit of, um, we've got a little bit of hindsight because we've got history now and we can look back and see... Um, what these and who these kingdoms, um, what they entailed. And uh, there's a thread through scripture that, that, that really highlights particular kingdoms. Now, if you look at world history, there, there are other kingdoms, and that's fine. But um, there's a thread here that, um, that um, sits in this interpretation. So we know that the, the gold was the, the Babylonian Empire. And it was, it was magnificent, it was strong, but some of these, some of these numbers are a little bit rubbery because they, they, they just go on, on, on history. But um, it only lasted for about 80 years. The Babylonian kingdom in all its glory only lasted for about 80 years. The kingdom that came after them was the, was the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. And that was um, the, the you know, we've got it further on in, in, in Daniel. Daniel. Daniel went through a few kings. <laughs> um, but um, 
So the Medes and the, and the Persians, so the Persian Empire, Persian Empire lasted about 200 years. The following kingdom, the Bronze, the, you know, in the Bronze Age, it was, it was the Greeks. The Greeks made their weapons of bronze. All their stuff was bronze. It was, it was very hard. It was um, uh, a superior, a superior um, metal that they were using. And, you know, from Alexander the Great and, and on, the, the Greek Empire was about 350 years. And then we've got the Iron Age, and that was the Romans. And they were the ones that, that broke every other kingdom. They brought every other kingdom into subjection. All the stuff that they made was out of iron, and uh, iron stronger than, than bronze. Their weapons were superior again. Um, and the Roman Empire... About 520 years. So then we get down to the iron and, and, and clay. And there's lots of thoughts of that about, the, about that. And, you know, ten-toed kingdom speaks in Revelation, all sorts of things. But, you know, there was a coming together of church and state. There's a coming together of church and state. The Roman Empire was... Christianized, but Christianity was, <laughs> there's a lot of words I could use, um, that probably wouldn't, not good in church. Um, I'm just looking for an appropriate one. Um, polluted. Polluted. Because much of what was what was in the in the in the Roman um, uh, set up as far as society set up their 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 gods their their times their seasons was just overlaid or Christianity was overlaid onto this system and they don't they don't mix they they don't go together they do not go together. And look, that's another that's another whole whole study. But you could look at at, at that system, if you like. It's been around for more than fourteen hundred years, in the form that it is. So the the actors, the nations, the peoples, the kingdoms change, because we've got a limited lifespan, don't we? We have a limited lifespan. We, we then we fall off the planet and and next generations, and so. All these different kingdoms, they had a different form. They were different peoples. But we need to understand that the spirits driving the different actors, kingdoms, nations, peoples, they're the same spirits. The spirits are eternal spirits. They just need another host. And they find another host. And they raise and, you know, different, different, different kingdoms and all sorts of things. So it's the same spirits from generation to generation. Looking for a host, looking for an expression. Now, in, uh, in that um, verse towards the end there of that passage I was reading, it says, there was a stone cut out of the mountain without hands. A stone cut out of the mountain. What, what, what mountain are we talking about? I put it to you that it is Mount Zion. It's a stone cut out of Mount Zion. 
Psalm 50 verse 2 says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine. And this stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. It means it's a, it, man hadn't put their hand to it. It's a total work of God. What is going to destroy the, um, this system, if you like, this world system is a total work of God. <laughs> it's, it's not something that man came up with. Oh, let's do this to, to bring down all the work of, of, of you know, what the enemy has set up and, and the, you know, the different systems in the world that, that are governing, that are, that are controlling. No, it's going to be God. God's going to do this. It's going to be a work of him. But out of Zion, see the stone was cut out of the mountain. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine. And what does, what does Zion speak about to us now? Now, Zion was a mountain in, 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 in Jerusalem. It was a physical place. But what does it speak of to us now? It speaks of the church. It speaks of what God is developing God is developing his church, his people. Out of that, God will shine. God will shine out of what he is producing. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The glory of God will shine out of what he's building and what he's producing. Let's... Um, let's there's a, there's a thread here, so let's follow the thread. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just setting a, a, a foundation here. And then we're going to talk about how quickly God moves. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this is a really interesting passage where Paul is, is speaking because... He flip-flops between the natural and the spiritual, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards um, in this passage. But what he's emphasising, he's emphasising the holy union of marriage as a picture of the holy union of Christ and his church. And uh, it's, it's a very, it's a special passage. Um, we'll read it. Verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Boy, has that scripture been misused. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. <laughs> you can't read those first ones without, without 25. You, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. In, an, in the natural, if a husband is not willing to lay down his life for his wife, forget it. <laughs> Forget it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You can see it's sort of backwards and forwards. <laughs> Verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. That he might present to himself a glorious church. How do you know, how do you know it would be glorious? What's, if, if there's something that's the, the glory of God, what, what do you expect it to, to be? What do you expect it to be? Out of Zion, the perfection of, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. There's going to be a brightness. There's going to be a light to it. There's going to be an illumination. There's going to be uh, such an intenseness of, of the presence of God that it will be seen. <laughs> Just as Moses came down off the mountain, he had, be, he had been in proximity to God and his face shone. It just shone. It shone brightly. It had put the veil over there. There's going to be a manifestation. That's only going to be one of the manifestations. But there's going to be a glory that shines out of the church because God has done a work in that church that it does not have spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, spots, spots are blemishes. Wrinkles, a wrinkle is, is sort of like a fold. When you look at that word, it, a wrinkle is a fold. You know, some of us are <laughs> getting a few folds. <laughs> but uh, things hide in folds, okay? In, in places, you know, like you've got your couch and your couch looks um, pretty clean, but I tell you, if you haven't vacuumed between the cushions for a good while... Just go and have a look when you get home. It's, it's ugly. Because uh, um, all the bits and pieces fall down in the, in, the, in the cracks and the folds and it's not nice. There's not going to be any of that in the church. There's not going to be anything that, that, that is hidden. There's not going to be anything that is not revealed. And, and, and for, for a lot of people that's scary. Because they think, oh no, I've, I have, I've actually got some things that I've got hidden. That I'm not, I don't want to show. There's not going to be any of that. God is going to perfect his church. And it's going to be a, an, an openness before God that everything is dealt with. Yeah. That's, what he's, that's, what he's, that's what he's doing. That's what he's producing. Now, is that the condition of the church right now? Has it ever been? Now, we look at the, the church in the book of Acts and we think, oh, that was pretty good, and it was. Some good stuff happening there. But the glory of the latter church will be greater than the former. So we can look at this, what's in the book of Acts and we can think, wow, that was great. But God says there's going to be great, it's going to be greater than that yeah. at the end. Yeah. Now, I know that there is a, there is a, a, a thinking that you know, the, 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 the church is, is under attack and the church is is shrinking in, in, in Australia. Look, the number of people, who, you know, on a census, the number of people say, yeah, I'm Christian. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and we, can, we can take that on board and, and think, well, yeah, look, the, the church is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and then God's just going to come in, catch the church away and all hell's going to break loose and, and, um, and you know, end of story. Because, you know, I can read the back of the book too. But is, does, is that consistent with what God is saying? 
Is it consistent with his heart? What he says he's coming back for is not what we see now. And you think, well, how quickly, Lord, can you produce what you've said you were going to have? How quickly? It must come before the end. What God says he's going to have. Now, there are other scriptures that suggest some things, other things are going to happen. End time scriptures. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 3. Say that three times quickly. It just says that day, and it's talking about that day when Jesus comes. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin, Antichrist, lawlessness, is revealed. So the falling away precedes that day. But you know, there's got to be a harvest that precedes the falling away. How can we have a a falling away if we actually don't have a harvest? There's going to be a harvest, a great end-time harvest. There's going to be an ingathering of peoples. And then, that's another, that's another study. What's going to be the, be the full? It's another study. But God is going to have his church. It's not there yet. It is not there yet. Certainly it is not there yet. But he's going to do a quick work. The Bible says that. He's going to do a quick work in the end. There needs to be, there has to be, there will be a great ingathering. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Following this thread of thought. You know, there was a time, probably not too long ago, where I, I, I thought, I know a lot. Um, particularly about um, end time happenings and timings and, and whatever. Because when I came in, I, I started coming to this church in 1985. And, and Mr. Keane, that's Jeff's dad, he was, that was a very big part. And, and those people who were there, here then will know that was a very big part of the teaching, end time revelation. And, and we, we had a lot of end time revelation, revelation end time teachings. And I got to a point where I thought, yeah, I actually, I, I know a lot about this. Can I, can I tell you now, I don't know nearly as much as I used to. Because I actually understand that there's a whole lot more involved than what I had ever heard. The, the different components of, of what it talks about in Scripture are there and they will happen. The timing of when these things happen, that's in God's timing. And why is it in God's timing and why, um, why can we, I, I believe, why can we not sort of have it all laid out and say, right, this is how it's going to happen? Because if you know it and I know it, so does the enemy. <laughs> there are certain things in God's timing that 
He's still got secret. Because the enemy's not going to be privy to what he's going to do. He knows sort of, he, he, you know, he can read the book. He knows bits and pieces, but he doesn't have this, 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 this. God's got some surprises. Love it. So, yes, I don't know as much as I used to. Matthew chapter 13 these, Matthew chapter 13, these are, all par- these are all parables from Jesus of the kingdom. And I, I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that when I was looking at this parable. Oh, here we are, backing it. Parable of the dragnet, verse 47. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea. Now, when the, when the, when the word talks about the sea, it's, it's the sea of humanity. It is the world. It is the peoples of the world. The dragnet was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separating the wicked from among the just. Now, you look at this, and, and you think, yeah, well, God's going to separate the wicked from the just. But what's it talking about? It's talking about the kingdom. It's talking about the dragnet that was put out into the peoples and, and a great catch, a great harvest was brought in. A great harvest was brought in of all peoples. And then there was a sorting out. You know, it's a bit of a parallel to the parable that we looked at the other, other week, the parable of the tares and the wheat. God is going to sort out his kingdom. He wants all to be. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants as many in as he possibly can. There's other parables to the wedding feast. You know, they were to go out to the highways and byways and bring in everybody. But, you know, there was one that came in and... and he was in the wedding feast and, 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 he, and he was challenged. He said, you haven't got a wedding garment on. How did you get in here? And he was speechless and he was removed. You know, that wedding garment is that, is that, is that cloak that we, we, we are given. It's that cloak of righteousness in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So this, this speaks to me of a, of a, of a great... In gathering, and then a sorting, and you could look at that, and you could say, "Well, maybe that's the great harvest, and then maybe the falling away when things are sorted out, because God will have all that He says He's going to have. He will have that, and it's it really then comes back to individual hearts, and it comes back to will I submit." To what God wants, or will I be drawn away by other things? What will be the priority of my heart? What will be the priority of my heart? Am I going to hang on to stuff, or am I going to let it all go before God and just allow Him to do what He wants to do in, in, in my heart? So, how quickly, <laughs> how quickly can God move? How quickly can God move? 
He is slow to anger and he is abounding in love. He's not willing that any should perish. So all things are in God's timing. But when it's time, when it's go time, look out. <laughs> you know, Zechariah chapter 3 verse 9 just says in, in, that, in that, you can read it. But God says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we, we look at, 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 at things and think, man, this is, you know, I've been in God for this long and it's taken so long. I said the other, a little while back, God, why have you taken 60 years to get me here, <laughs> get me to this point in, in my life? Where I can actually lay stuff before you and, and, and trust you to, to this extent. Why has it taken so long? And you might be asking the same thing. I've been a Christian for this long and, you know, it seems to have taken a long time. And, and you know, you're saying God moves quickly. Well, God is producing, God is preparing, but when it's time to go, wow. Yeah. Revelation chapter 18, verse 8. Um, Revelation chapter, well, there's. Um, there's a, few, a number of chapters in, in Revelation. It's talking about the, the scarlet woman on the scarlet beast, the false church. Okay, 17, 18, and part, and not, part of 19. Okay, so it's that, it's that false church. It's that, you might look at it as, as being um, that underlying spirit of, of, of religion. It's the... Iron and the clay in that in that um, in that statue. The the that false woman is actually called Babylon the Great. Just relate it back to the to the statue, the the feet and toes of of that statue. It's that spirit of Babylon. It's that spirit of Babel that has been through the different nations, the different kingdoms throughout um, human history. But Revelation chapter 18 verse 8 says, Her plagues will come in one day. In one day, that whole system is going to be brought down. And you think, how, how, how can that be? How can God move that quickly? God is God. God is God. Yeah. Is anything too hard for God? You know, sometimes we look and say, well, I, I, I don't see how that can be. <laughs> hmm. So Babylon the Great, the religious political system used by the enemy, it's going to be brought down in a day. And I'm sure that, you know, there's going to be stuff after, but yeah. So um, I've got a couple of Old Testament examples um, that, uh, well, they encouraged me. So if this is going to be an encouragement, that's, uh, that's good. Um, Exodus chapter 14, if you can, if you can turn there. Because we see... The children of Israel. And, and look, the, the Old Testament, the, the things that happen in there, they're types and shadows 
of things that are going to happen and come to pass. And, and we can look at them, and, and none of the types and shadows are perfect, and we understand that. But this was the, the crossing of the, of the Red Sea. And just to set the scene, the, and we probably know most of this, but the children of Israel, after the 10th plague, they were ejected out of, out of Egypt. They said, get out of here, take our stuff with you, just go. And, and they left. The whole nation left. Now, they were going um, through a particular uh, route and heading down towards the Red Sea. And it, God was leading them in this way. And, of course, the uh, Pharaoh said, what have we done? You know, we let these, these people think, no, we've got to get them back. Let's, um, let's go and get them. So you've got the children of Israel heading towards the Red Sea. Now, um, they've got a mountain range one side and the other. They've got nowhere to go to the left or to the right. They have got a sea in front of them and they've got a bunch of angry Egyptians behind them, 600 chariots, all their horses, all their... intent on doing absolute damage. Okay? They were not... They were not going, it was not going to be pretty. And you think, we've got nowhere to go. We've got nowhere to go. And look, in our society today, you can, you can, you can look at, at, at our, our judicial system, our, our, our constabulary, our, our, our government, our, and you think it's sort of closing in on every side because <laughs> there's, some, there's some evil at work. <laughs> And we can feel all hedged in. You've got nowhere to go. So let's pick it up from, from verse, um, verse 12, chapter 14. Is this not the word... Ah, this is, this is, the, um, this is the, the complainers, and there was lots of complainers in the um, children of Israel. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So these people, these people who have just left bondage with a whole lot of good stuff from all the Egyptians, are saying, no, it would have been better if we were in slavery. How many people in our society just want to be comfortable and safe? I'll do what you tell me to do, just let me be comfortable and safe. I'm happy to be in, I'm happy not to have freedoms, I'm happy to be in bondage, but just, you know, but, yeah, anyway, it's another story. Um, And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Or if we could just, if if we could extract fear out of the population, how good would that be? Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, (laughs) which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I won't keep going through... through, um, through the story, because you, you, you know it. The, uh, Moses opened, was told to put up his staff. The waters parted, physical impossibility. 
Not possible. What happened was not physically possible. <laughs> There's going to be some things that are going to happen that are not physically possible. They make no sense to our natural mind. None whatsoever. The children of Israel walked through on dry land <laughs> to the other side. The Egyptians in their pride and their arrogance said, right, we're following on. Okay, they've got a wall of water to the left hand and left hand to the right hand. Okay, they've gone through and God said, right, oh, time. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, they, they did see some bodies on the, on the beach. Uh, that, that's all they saw of, of, um, of the Egyptians. One day, one day, the most powerful nation on the planet at that time, <laughs> decimated in, in one day. Their strength decimated. Because it was time for God to move. Let's have a look at um, Second Kings. Book of Second Kings. Second Kings chapter six. How often in Scripture do we look at things and and, and we see, oh, hopeless situation, hopeless situation. So, just get a feel for the hopelessness of this situation. Uh, verse twenty four of chapter six, Second Kings. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. What's for dinner tonight, Mum? Donkey head. Do you want the eyes or the tongue? Oh, they would have eaten it all. Don't worry about that. Because they didn't have any food. They did not have any food. So I, I put it into... Um, into oh, I'll keep reading. <laughs> um, where's the donkey's head? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Donkey's head. And, and one-fourth of a, of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. What, what do you do with a cup of dove, dove droppings? Actually, it's, that's, no, that's a trick question. Um, it's suggested in some of the commentaries that that was actually a wild plant. Uh, I don't know. It must have had the appearance of dove droppings. I don't know. But it was something that was edible. Okay, It wasn't actually dove droppings, which is a good thing. So I put it in, in, in another form. So a donkey's head... 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove dung, um, this plant, five pieces of silver. Now, supply and demand. It is. It's supply and demand. Okay? Because we've got Samaria besieged by an enemy army, no going in, no coming out, whatever's in there, that's all you've got to eat. So, um, you know, they got down to five horses in the, in the city apparently. Um, because they were, you know, using um, all the available sources um, for, to 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 eat for for meat, and it didn't. It actually didn't stop there. It got worse. 
um, which this is nasty. Um, <clears throat> verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing on the woman, uh, wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you from? So, fair question. Um, Verse 28, Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and I said to her on the next day, "Give, Give your son that we may eat him but she has hidden her son. How rude. How rude. This was the extent of the hopeless... This is... This is that's, that's horrendous. <laughs> that's just horrendous. That was the extent of the hopelessness that these people had come to. Ah. Uh, Vile. And uh, of course, the, the king, who was not a godly king, um, got upset and he sent a messenger off to take off Elisha's head. <laughs> Elisha knew he was coming and they barred the door and all the rest of it. So, but this was Elisha's response. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time. So tomorrow about this time, what's the length of the the time there? Today. (laughs) Tomorrow, about this time, uh, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So we've gone from a donkey's head being worth 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung five pieces of silver, in one day, I'll put it in other forms, 7.3 litres of choice flour is going to be worth one piece of silver and 14.6 litres of barley grain is going to be worth one piece of silver. You think, how can that, economically, how can that change so quickly? And, and, there were people who heard this who had the same, um, had the same response. Verse 2. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, and Elisha said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So it was an incredulous thing that Elisha had said. This th- and, and, and the servant said, this thing cannot possibly be. It can't happen. This can't happen. But it was the word of the Lord. God said to Elisha, this is what's going to be. And that's what he spoke. And if you read further on, you'll find that this servant, after the Assyrians fled, they'd fled. They fled and left everything. And it was a work of God. God made them hear noises of a great army coming and they just dropped everything and ran. (laughs) And they left everything. And so they plundered all the the, the people, plundered all the the goods and and everything was, they had an abundance of everything. 
the king put this servant who said this cannot possibly be, he put him in charge of the gate. He put him in the gate. He was in charge of the gateway. And then all the people who were starving learnt that there was an abundance out there. Oopsie. He died under the stampede of the people going through the gate, it says. He could see it, but he didn't partake of it. <laughs> Don't say God can't do. <laughs> Don't say God can't do. God can do anything. And he will. And he will. Just be encouraged that, you know, that you know, there are times and seasons and we are in a time where God is going to move. All the indicators are of that. It's dark. It's difficult. It feels like the, the walls are closing in around God's people. God will respond he has a response. It will be his response. It will not be a work of man. It will be a work of God. And it will be a glorious thing to see. And it will be a glorious thing to be a part of as the church. As his glory shines from his body, the church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hope that's an encouragement. Encourage me. Um, we're going to have communion now. So if you'd like, if you haven't um, grabbed your communion, if you would like to. I think we're getting better at taking the tops off loose. <laughs> I, I, I think we, we're getting practised. <laughs> oh, Philly. <laughs> Doing well. God loves doing impossible things. Always has. When I say impossible, it's impossible to our, our thinking. It's impossible to our understanding of how science works. Maybe it's just a limitation on, on, on our understanding of all of that. But God isn't restricted by his creation. He's not restricted by anything that he has made. He's outside of all that. He's within all of that, but he operates outside the restrictions of anything that we are restricted by. And we can enjoy that limitlessness that he is. This is an expression of the impossibility of what God did for us.
He died. He came, lived a sinless life, and then he died. And and the in you know in the in the Jewish custom you weren't dead unless you were dead three days. Okay. All right. I don't know what they were expecting, but but you know you had to be in the grave for that period of time. Ah, yeah, right. No, they're dead. Okay. So he was in the grave for three days. Then he rose. <laughs> A physical impossibility. Nothing impossible for God. God is the author of life. He will do what he wants to do. And he did this for us. He showed himself strong on our behalf. And in fact, he showed himself weak for us in that he submitted himself to the death on the cross didn't fight back he took everything that we deserve and he took it on himself for all humanity it's available for every person everybody and he took it on himself to free us to be able to live our, our life in him. And his broken body, his body was broken, bruised and battered, so that ours could be healed. By his stripes we are healed. That's what he did. So it's a salvation of our souls, it's a healing of our bodies. So I'd like to stand. If there is something in your body this morning that you need a touch from God for, from, he has done the work. As we partake by faith, as we eat by faith, saying, Lord, you did that for me. You took all that, all that sickness, all that disease, all that whatever it is, it's not supposed to be in me. You took that. Father, I just, I, just give that, I just give that over. And as we partake by faith, let God do what he wants to do in your body right now. Let's partake in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. This is not natural food. This is spiritual food. God gave his blood that we could live. We could live in him and he in us. Hallelujah. The enemy has no hold as we believe what Jesus has done for us. So let's drink together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Lord, we just thank you for all that you are, all that you've done. Lord, that it's all about you. Hallelujah. Help us to walk in that knowledge. Help us to walk in that. Make it, let it be a revelation in our hearts, Lord. And then help us to walk it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Glory to God. Amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How good is God? Wow. I was so encouraged this morning by that word and, and by by absolutely everything that he, he has done. I hope you are feeling the same and that you've got you've received something from him that you're able to unpack with him later on this week and and that, that word will be life to your soul. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, this week I have uh, a couple of announcements that I'm aware of and Mel might have some more that she's aware of and we'll do a bit of tag team here. Um, We have men's night. uh, The next men's night will be on the 27th of this month, April, we're in. (laughs) Um, And it's going to be at Chris and Carol's place. Woohoo! That'll be fun. So, uh, yeah, um, stay tuned for that. We'll, uh, we'll see all you guys there. And I said a couple, but really I meant one. <laughs> hey, thanks, Mel. All right, so we've got a, wow, we've got a men's breakfast. How cool is that? Uh, with Len Cutting. The Lamb Church Bendigo is hosting a men's ch- a men's breakfast at Crook Street Park on Saturday the 6th of May. Men's breakfast. That's cool. Uh, so, guys, breakfast, 6th of May, Crook Street Park. See you there. Uh, we've got a church camp coming up. That's going to be super fun. I love camps. Camps is just like, you can, ne- it's like the peak Pinnacle of fun. I can see a nodding head, Hudson. You agree. Uh, you and I, buddy, we're going to have a blast. That thing is going to be off its head. Church camp is being held on the 7th, uh, Friday to Sunday, 7th to the 9th of July. So please uh, do what you can to get there. I know it, uh, it can be a sacrifice and a challenge trying to coordinate life to go, oh, Friday, I have to take work off or I have to do something or other. I promise you it's going to be worth it. It is going to be life-changing. It's at Camp Getaway in Axdale. Uh, it's going to be $100 per person and kids under 50 <laughs> are $5. <laughs> Kids, uh, if you've got a kid under 50, <laughs> it's only five bucks. Let's swap those numbers around. <laughs> kids under five are going to be 50 bucks. Hey, yeah, yeah, Lord, help me. Um, but uh, if that's going to be a challenge, please speak to one of the church staff because we have some generous people that are uh, providing a way uh, where you think there might not be a way. <laughs> There is a way. We will get you to church camp. 
uh, registrations, how you register for that is through the website. Payment can be made on the square or by credit card or cash. Uh, Facebook page, we've got one of them. Jump on it if you're keen. <laughs> if you haven't got any of what? If you don't have technology, Dad is saying that he will supply all of your technology. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's the message I'm hearing. <laughs> if you are technologically illiterate, come to Dad and he will bestow upon you technological wisdom. <laughs> He's got none to give. <laughs> He's got none to give. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that's so funny. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> man, all right, I'm going to get through these. This is heaps of fun. Whew, man, making me cry. I'm laughing that hard. <laughs> all right, uh, men's meeting. I've said that. Ladies' meeting, Tuesday the 2nd of May. <laughs> Well, oh, man, that, that really tickled my fancy. All right, um, Tuesday the 2nd of May, if you're a lady, yeah, that's for you. Um, it's going to be at Mel Burns' house, so see her to find out. It's 7.30. <laughs> All right, and that's it. I'm done. All right, thank you so much for... Uh, <laughs> oh, Mel's got one. One quick one that didn't make it. That men's breakfast. Um, if you are a lady... And you heard about how much fun we had with camp catering and you want to get in on that. We are going to cater for that men's breakfast. Uh, and the guys that are running that are donating to our youth ministry. So no shame in saying I'm doing it because we've got um, Planet, Sh not Planet Shakers, Youth Alive coming up. I'm hoping we can uh, use the money from that to take some young people to Youth Alive in Melbourne. So if you want to come and help me and Coral, she doesn't know it yet, but I volunteered her. Um, women's is at my house this week. <laughs> she volunteered me, so it goes both ways. Uh, if you want to come and have fun with us, it's literally two hours of your life on that Saturday morning. I dare say there's going to be coffee and breakfast involved afterwards for ourselves. Um, but come and see me. That would be amazing. Otherwise, enjoy your week. Coffee machine's on. Hang around and have a coffee.